0: Welcome to Fertility Help Hub's podcast. I'm Eloise, the founder and editor, and each week we bring you expert interviews, reader stories, holistic products, and more. Subscribe to our podcast for free so you never miss an episode. Hello, good morning, today on our podcast, we are speaking to Jacqueline Burge-Lynch, who is an ex-colleague of mine. We used to work together in the advertising world many moons ago. And Jacqueline is kindly sharing her story today about severe endometriosis, baby loss, IVF, IUI, and finally finding, finding success following a long journey. So good morning, welcome Jacqueline. Hi, Eloise, good morning. It's so nice to be speaking with you today. Thank you for coming on here and sharing your story with the community.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. It's so nice to be part of this. Um, I know we've taken a while to organise it with busy schedules, but yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So it would be
0: lovely to hear a bit about you um, and kind of where your
1: fertility journey started and then obviously leading into where you are now. It's really hard to pinpoint exactly when it started, I guess, because I guess when you're growing up and becoming an adult and looking at your life ahead, you do think about, you know, the possibility of having a family. But I think I was very, very, very focused on work and always felt very young. And I was going to be, you know, in my 20s. And I think in relationships, I was definitely not looking at settling down in my 20s. Um, I was definitely looking to more my 30s and 40s for that Um. I was sort of all about sort of having fun and enjoying life and um, not ready for the commitments. Um, I think as I approached relationships, I definitely thought more about, you know, where where I wanted to be in a family wise. But again, not quite meeting the right person to do that with. Um, so really, I guess that's a pre- precursor to when I did really start thinking seriously about having a family. Can I ask you how old you were at that point? At that point, I think I was um, probably in my early 30s. And I'd had a series, like I'd had a really long-term relationship. And I think I was, we broke up when I was 30, 31. And I was like, okay, like, what what am I doing this decade? Is is this the decade that maybe I'll meet somebody and it'd be the right person? Um, Funnily enough, or not funnily enough, it was a bit of a journey, but um, I met my now husband when I was 39. Um, I think I'd reached that point of thinking it's not going to happen for me, you know? And um, so we did have talks about family very quickly um probably a bit too quickly for his liking but <laughs> I was like so we need to think about this um and he has a, a daughter already from a previous relationship so I think the urgency for him wasn't as, as strong but we did um we did kind of um start talking about it but to be honest the big preemptor as you mentioned was me finding out I had endometriosis um and again that all happened within when I was 39 so a lot happened when I was 39 um and when I got diagnosed I'd kind of gone with some symptoms I mean I'd always had fairly regular periods but I think over the, the the decade of being in my 30s I'd noticed here and there some months things were a little bit different like for example I was being sick or um I would have quite bad pain um like unusually bad I accepted that most people get pain but you can never quite measure it against people's pain thresholds can you yeah. um, so I kind of noticed that and then some differences in sort of bleeding and things like getting too graphic um, and went to get I went to my doctor at work actually we had a very lucky fortunate to have a doctor at work and she immediately sent me for a scan and literally that happened within 48 hours and um, when I talked through all the symptoms with her and they were like, it looks like you've got quite bad endometriosis. I'm going to refer you to a surgeon to talk about your options. And again, very lucky um, to have this all through my private healthcare at work. Um, and I think that's why I got diagnosed so quickly, because I'm fortunate enough to have that at the time.
0: Isn't that incredible that you live for 39 yeah. years without knowing that you had this? Well yeah but you
1: know what I mean you learn so much about it when you get diagnosed because my mother had endometriosis but it was only d- diagnosed as she was having a hysterectomy wow. so so my mother had it and apparently it can be hereditary um and also I mean mine is diagnosed as severe because it was so there was such severe scarring when they actually did a laparoscopy on me to have a look um but I would I wouldn't say that I've had the most severe symptoms that I've heard of, Um, I've heard of so many people who are in month, you know, every time of the month they're in so much pain and also with endometriosis, it can, it can spread to other organs in the body, can't it? So um, I didn't have that either. It was all within the womb, but um, yeah, it was definitely a big change in that last decade.
0: So you were having conversations um, with your husband. I didn't know if he was your husband at the time about having. No, no. And you then got diagnosed with endometriosis. So what what were the next steps then in terms of your overall well-being and fertility health?
1: So with the endometriosis, you know, we, you know, it was all very fast moving. And this, this, the consultant had said, you know, we, you know, there isn't a cure for this. However, we can have surgery clear some of it up. You can um, then, you know, use a coil afterwards, which marina coil, which can also help with symptoms to manage it um you know and ultimately his words which i've later found out aren't necessarily right where you can um having a child will obviously reduce the symptoms of endometriosis um and i've later found out actually from endometriosis uk um correspondence with them that's not actually true um but that's what, what people believe um it's just very weird hearing that from a consultant isn't it but um yeah. So there were kind of those options. And then we talked with the consultant about fertility and he point blank said, there's no way you'll be able to have a child naturally. It's just, it's just going to be an impossibility for you. Highly, highly unlikely. The end of the Yeah. And so that's why everything was kind of fast tracked because we were like having very, very like preliminary conversations, but everything became very like, okay, what, what's the plan? And he was straight away, you know, you will need to have IVF. So, I mean, my husband was the first person to sort of say, can we try naturally though? And he was like, I mean, he kind of looked at us like, I mean, you can try, but highly, you know, so we were already thinking, right, okay, this is, this is going to be the next step of the journey if that's what we want to do. So we kind of knew it was decision time, really.
0: And severe endometriosis, is this what you were diagnosed with?
1: Yeah. I mean, my scarring was pretty bad, so I think they give you sort of like a grading, and again, it's... as you probably know, it's really hard to diagnose endometriosis anyway, but I guess because mine was severe, they could, it's easier to diagnose. And I could have had it from, who knows, it could have been from my, from my, I don't know, twenties earlier. I don't know. It, it could have built up over years, but it, which is probably highly likely. Um, mm. But you know, all, all they do, as far as I'm aware, to diagnose it is um, scans and then you can have a laparoscopy I had a laparoscopy and a hysteroscopy actually. After that, that was my decision to have that done before we decided to start trying for, for a child. How are you feeling emotionally and physically?
0: Because that's been to hear, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a huge thing to hear. I mean, I was, I was hugely emotional about it. And, you know, I remember telling my parents, and, you know, because when you're first investigating it, I remember them saying I had a cyst the size of like an, an orange and, and it was in my ovary um so when they went in for the surgery they had to drain the cyst in my ovary they also said my right ovary was like attached to the back of my cervix so everything was very messy in there you know um and it was emotional and it was kind of like oh you know I want to be able to make the decision myself not be pushed into this corner you know of, hurry up hurry up you know the pressure becomes so much more intense as if it wasn't intense already in your 30s mm-hmm. um So yeah, it was it was definitely like okay, we need to sort of really be happy and aligned with if we're going to move forward and decide to have a family together. So what happened next? So so we had so I had the surgery in the February. So I think I was diagnosed in potentially it was the end of summer, early autumn in the year before. So I decided to have the surgery in February, and there was like a few weeks. off work so I ended up having the surgery and I ended up actually being off work for three weeks. Um which was which was really good. It was really you know good recovery time. Um and then once I felt better we, we sort of you know obviously emotionally and then heal and healing wise because of the you know it's a little bit uncomfortable afterwards. Um it's kind of yeah that was the point where we went let like, let's start thinking about trying to have a, a child and within a, a few months we did decide to to start trying and um, we, we were going to give it a go naturally um, and lo and behold within three months we did get pregnant so we were like hang on a minute this isn't supposed to happen so we were ready but we weren't fully ready um, but we did have our, our our loss so we did lose that baby um, and it was really really awful because you know we, we thought we've just tried and this is according to the doctors, a slight miracle that it's even happened, but wow, it's happened. So then we thought, well, let's keep trying after that, after we kind of managed to move on from the the loss, which again is obviously, I mean, I've had I've had in total four baby losses. And actually that was my second. So I had with a previous partner 10 years ago had a loss which was probably hugely scarring and and and, and you know it was 10 it was 10 years prior. So it was it was very difficult and things were very different then people didn't really talk about it in the same way that they do now do you feel
0: like you were able to talk about it more recently do you do you think there's more support out there and understanding about
1: it yeah i definitely feel there is and i think i know there's so much more talk about everything in terms of women's you know fertility journey you know or, or hormones even you know menopause is talked about so much at the moment which is brilliant baby loss um but yeah, no, I definitely felt because it was very much when I f- my first experience of baby loss was really awful because I was quite far along, and I went to work and no one at work knew what to do. My boss said, no. It was lovely. Didn't no one knew what to do? There weren't any guidelines. What do you you know? And I was going into work and something could have happened in the office. It was awful, and I was I was very traumatized by. Did have to have the procedure. The DNC in the hospital, but I was so traumatized by the whole experience because, you know, from going into having your 12 your week scan to finding out the baby's heartbeat wasn't there to then having to walk back through all the pregnant women and then go home because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether I should have the, the procedure in hospital then. I didn't know whether you should take the medication they give you to bring on the miscarriage. I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. And no one else really knew what they were doing. I say it was 10 years ago it was actually probably 13 years ago yeah 13 years ago and it was just a blur and even now I remember the side effects of the trauma of it I remember waking up one morning and I couldn't see and I worked myself into such a state that I couldn't see in the morning because because I was just so mentally like drained by the whole thing and you know and then finally, I had the DNC, and and then I think I went back to work again the next day. I just didn't know. I didn't. You didn't. No one knew what to do. Um, Did you get support through work in that particular? So that was the one that was ten years ago. Um, I, my boss was lovely, actually, but they didn't know what to do. And I don't even remember anyone talking to HR, and I don't remember my partner knowing what to do at the time or my family. Whereas now it would be like you have you can't go to work, come home. HR would give you any kind of, you know, assistance and advice. And absolutely, you know, absolutely. it would be it very, it's a very different scenario. And it's hard to imagine that that was only 13 years ago. But yeah, my experience of baby loss this time was definitely different. I wouldn't say it was hugely positive. It, it wasn't markedly improved, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it was um, people still don't know what to say or people who've not experienced it close to them or around them. I think really don't know how to to handle it.
0: Had you but told think people the... that you
1: were pregnant, <clears throat> or at work, you mean? Well, yeah, or
0: generally because um, it's it, it's such a traumatic experience, isn't it? To yeah, have people sort of asking you questions and not knowing how to grieve.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I I definitely. So the one that we were just previously talking about the the pregnancy where we just tried after my um, endometriosis. The operations the laparoscopy and the hysteroscopy i um i definitely told people that i was pregnant earlier and that is because i believe that you need the support through w- whether you you know maintain a pregnancy or if you do lose a pregnancy i think you need the support in both ways so mm-hmm. i did tell people earlier i didn't tell work because i don't i just don't feel it's such a high pressured environment and the agency i was at it, it, you know I think I I told one friend who's a friend outside of work at work, but that was it. But I didn't feel, even though HR and this, and the, they have everything set up, you know, they, you people know what to say to people now, but whether people really understand and are able to communicate in a way that is helpful to someone who's had a loss, that's, I think that's another thing.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. Mm. So what, so what happened following, the initial loss with your now husband?
1: So so we, we lost, yeah, we lost that baby. And I think because I had been through it before, it definitely didn't make it easier, but I think I was more prepared for how to deal with it. And also the loss was a like a natural loss. Like I didn't have to go into hospital, which isn't pleasant at all. But I think we were just really in it together and we were like, okay. And we somehow managed to get ourselves together and, and move on
0: how did he sort of respond to the loss and how how was your relationship? Well, he, yeah, he was gutted.
1: I think he was just by my side. I remember him just being by my side. Like he wasn't sort of, you know, life didn't just go back to normal. Um, We just talked a lot. And I think um, it did affect him. I think it's it's difficult, isn't it? Being the male in, in the relationship because they're so conscious of, because it's physically happening to you. Um, they can only kind of watch and be there and support rather than they can't go through it physically, can they? So um, I think it's a different experience. Um, but I think once we'd sort of processed and tried to move on, we thought, right, well, let's try again. And then we got to a point where it was a year later then after that and nothing was happening. So we were like, OK, right. That really was a lucky kind of fluke potentially. And now we do have to decide if we're going to move on to this journey of IVF and were you 40 um, by this stage. So I was do you know what I don't think I I don't think I was. It, maybe I'm just thinking whether I was 38 then maybe 30, no it was 39. Um I think I must have been 40 because I yeah I was 40, you're right. Um we I was 40 and we had decided we would yeah move on to IVF. Um and we kind of looked into some clinics, we talked to a few different people um, and we found one that was like called gentle IVF, which is create fertility. You probably mm-hmm. know lots about them, mm-hmm. Louise. Um, but we had a friend, I had a friend from school who actually knew the owner and just as in had a good relationship with the owner and, and had used them before herself. Um, but um, I just like the whole idea of gentle IVF. Can you
0: explain um, to people who might know not might not know what that means? What is that approach?
1: So essentially, and again, please fill in the gaps because I'm definitely not an expert in this. But um, I so gentle IVF. So when you start most cycles, and I know if you're going through via the NHS or all privately, um, and again, I had to go privately because of my age. So there weren't any options for IVF at, at 39, 40, um, unfortunately um so uh you you're kind of put on essentially um drugs that sort of wind down your system don't you at the very start of the process so they kind of sort of semi put you into like a menopausal state because they sort of shut your body down to sort of restart it um the downregs the downregs so I didn't do any downregs essentially obviously that was that was very bespoke to me and my fertility um and um what was going on in my body. So we didn't, I didn't have to do that. And again, I know that's quite a horrible part of the process or quite a demanding part of the process for a lot of people. Um, and, and and essentially you, you kind of go into, um, stimulate the eggs um, and then egg retrieval. So it's kind of like a shorter process um, and your, your body doesn't have as many drugs going in essentially. Um, that's my sort of understanding of, um, gentle IVF
0: yes yeah, so I think the dosages are lower aren't they
1: yeah and the dosages are lower as well and again it depends on what's going on in your body and as we know there are no guarantees but I mean essentially then they So I went through that process and um um and weirdly at the same time as I went through that because again you know it's you're on fast track and also at the same time we were of course in the middle of um our covid pandemic
0: and how did um, that affect things
1: well, I think I felt like, so I had had ch- talks with um, a hospital, um, so NHS wise, I, whilst I wasn't, um, I couldn't have IVF, as in for free. I couldn't have it on the NHS. Um, I could have IUI, um, and I think that went up to f- age 42. So I was in within the bracket of that, but obviously the success rates of IUI are much lower than IVF. So- well, yeah, Was this
0: on the NHS, you could have that?
1: Yeah, in my area. Yeah. Up to 42, I could have, have IUI. So we had in our heads, okay, well, well, let's try this IVF and then maybe we could try IUI if there's a bit of a backwards way of doing it. But we just thought, you know, let's, if we got people under a time pressure, let's get cracking and let's, you know, so. We did the IVF and, you know, it's again, stimulated eggs. And funny enough, I mean, they, I think they were looking at everything and they were saying, you've got quite a few follicles. It should, you know, this is looking good, but they ended up only getting one egg. I say only it was one magic egg, obviously, because then we got pregnant with the IVF cycle. Um, So we were like, wow, you know, amazing. You know, we we couldn't have imagined it going better in a way, but then sadly we lost, again, we had baby loss. so I'm so sorry you've been through so much oh thank you I know it's, it's 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 so weird when you talk about it because you have this time to heal but you look back at the time and it's it's soul destroying um but yeah we could we were just like oh wow you know and you build you know your family are involved you know my parents you know my mom had given us some money to actually do the IVF you know, so. Everyone's very involved in it, you know? And there's something weird about when your parent gives you help, you feel so that they're invested emotionally, but they're also invested financially. And in no way would my parents ever feel like that. But it just was like, oh my God, you know, there's pressure on it and there's a, everyone wants it so much for you. Um, but yeah, so that was like a blow. And I think we felt like then we were like in, in the ch- like I was in the middle of it, I was in the zone. It's like you know you you read so many different articles, don't you? And you have so much information, and people, you know, when you start following people on Instagram and your socials, and you're kind of thinking, okay, yeah, they did it eight times, and now they've got a baby, or you know, and and then you have to like also think, you know, we'll be okay if we don't have a baby. Our life is going to be lovely, you know. You're building two separate lives because you're thinking. I can't make everything about having this baby because life must go on and we can build a beautiful life. And then on the other hand, you've got, wouldn't it be lovely, we'd have this whole life then with our own child. And so you're trying to build in your head these two different worlds and you don't know which out, what the outcomes can be.
0: About the baby loss yeah. you've experienced, would you say that each of them have felt different?
1: Yeah, yeah, they have. I think the very first one was super, super traumatic. For so many reasons, I think it was basically um I felt too young, I felt way too young um I wasn't ready for it and I think then I was then I had wanted to keep my baby I'd wanted to do it and then it, the loss at like the baby was like twelve weeks or thirteen weeks and it was just it was it you know it was quite well it was a developed pregnancy. And then I had to have this, you know, the surgery and it was just emotionally, I was so unprepared. I was so not ready. I had no idea that you could go to a 12 week scan at that point at that age and, and then tell you your baby wasn't there, you know, your baby had, had not survived. So that was, that was, that was super, super horrendous. And, you know, I did, obviously I will, I will always think about that. And I, and I do think you, every baby loss is a genuine little person that's completely different and i think even though you know as you get older you are you learn to deal with loss and grief and challenges supposedly better i think even you know the, the miscarriages i've had or the baby losses i don't always like the word miscarriage i know lots of people don't either but um yeah the um i think mentally i'm i'm very strong now so i think therefore i can deal with it but it's still it still has an impact and I do try to allow myself to let that impact happen because it's very So sometimes mentally you want to just move on quickly you want to get over it but I think it's important to try and let yourself grieve.
0: Definitely do you think that you found support through you mentioned Instagram communities um and but what about friends did you feel friends and family could empathize with what you were going through?
1: I think I think yes and no I think friends who have had baby loss and have been on the IVF journey they're like your little uh, small network of people who really get it I think other people don't always get it and you get the unhelpful comments which you sometimes wash over you and sometimes don't you know the and say you know well it's really good you've got pregnant it's really good you got pregnant and you're like okay I know you're trying to be helpful but it's not quite helpful in that moment Um, of course Um, I think the the wider network that's helped me is is actually becoming part of Bloom which I know you know about and founding Bloom Wombs which was um the group that I sort of founded with a with a friend um and that community has been really helpful in people talking about their experiences of baby loss and beyond way beyond but um that's been great because it really is like a sea of voices and how can people find out more about that About Bloom UK, so Bloom, if um, Bloom UK are a a network of um, females working in within the media sector, and and on the outskirts of the media sector, and it's a volunteer network, um, and it's become huge, it's become really big. Um, And within that, they have there's so much fun. There's a lot about career support, but there's also um, groups within there, um, you know, pride. Uh, bloom in color um bloom wombs inclusion groups essentially and you can find your niche you might want to be part of all of them or you might want to be part of one or and they're just like support networks people talk about jobs it's like a space where people talk about you know jobs it's like the golf course for women um, and we also really involve men so we have like exchange programs where we have men and female females co-mentoring each other um so it's, it's just Thank a really productive, yeah, it's a really productive space. But specifically, um, what's been brilliant is me feeling like four years ago I didn't really have anyone I could talk to other than, you know, as in I I, I did have people to talk to, but I think having a network was really important. Um and, and Bloom Whims came about through that really.
0: And what happened following the baby loss that you've just been talking about after the cycle of IVF?
1: Yeah, so um, so that we had baby loss then, and I think then I was literally like I didn't really want to wait again. I was like okay, because there was a year gap in between the first miscarriage and the second essentially, and then the IVF obviously within that too. So then um, we knew that the IUI option. We were also like not in a position to to have a cycle of IVF financially um, at that point. Um, so we thought well let's just investigate IUI and have another chat with them whilst I'm still in the remit, the age remit. Um, and whilst this borough, because it's all about boroughs, isn't it, and where you live. And whilst the, but this borough still offer IUI for me. So we went in and you have to have, I can't believe I've forgotten the name of it. You have to have a procedure where they, they sort of squirt dye into you. And essentially it shows if there's any blockages in your tubes. And I can't remember what it's called, which is really unhelpful. Um, yeah, so you have to have that procedure before you have RUI. Um, yeah. And um, so I had that and there didn't seem to be any blockages, which was great. And then they said, okay, we can line you up for a cycle of IUI, um, uh, which essentially, obviously is far less intrusive, but still a procedure. Um, so we were like, all ready to do that. Um, and I think we had it scheduled to start in September, um, I think it was August, maybe it was September or October. Anyway, so in the, in the interim, we had planned a little break. We were going to Lyme Regis in early September. So we were all kind of set and we, we decided, um, so September, it's my birthday, and we decided we would um, you know, go and stay somewhere, have some champagne, have some oysters, go to, down by the sea. Anyway, we were, we were having a great time. I think we were away for three or four days. And we knew when we came back we'd be starting again um and then we ended up in Lyme Regis we kind of went around some places on the coast and um we went for this lovely dinner um and was looking out to sea. and I think I knew that day I was like oh something's a bit up with me um and I knew I was due my period but hadn't come so I thought wow this is this is silly because this isn't going to happen but I'm going to get a pregnancy test and I sort of did it sneakily whilst my um then fiance um was um he i can't remember what he was doing but i quickly nipped to vo- to boots and got a pregnancy test anyway and i as we went to the restaurant this lovely restaurant that was looking out to see i went to the toilet quickly and i did the tests and lo and behold i was pregnant and i was like is this real what what's real you know like can i be excited about this because it's very hard to be excited when you have so many losses but it's also like this isn't supposed to happen because everyone's told me it's not going to happen. So why is it happening again? Like, you know, my friends are going to be thinking, you know, why is she telling us she can't have children? Like when she's basically got pregnant twice now, naturally. Um, it was, it was brilliant news. Obviously I then told him over a glass of wine at the table, I decided not to have wine at that point when I realized, okay, this is, um, no judgment, obviously, if anyone who likes to have a glass of wine, mm-hmm. the um, so yeah, so I told him over for lunch and we were like incredibly happy. But again, it's that thing, you know, you can't relax until you're further down the line because you're, you've are you already, you know, you've reached this this stage before and it hasn't gone as you thought it would go. So yeah, so then we, that was in the, that was in the September and yeah, we had our little boy in May last year. Oh,
0: so many congratulations. I'm so Thank happy you. With you. It's such Thank a journey you. that you've been on to get there.
1: I know, crazy journey.
0: A journey. And then you mentioned that um, it's also been difficult sort of getting back into the workplace and sort of balancing that juggle since you've been on maternity leave.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, again, all the friends and family who have have become parents and have had to balance and juggle it all. um, Yeah, I've been back working. I'm now freelancing, so I'm not back in my old job. I'm um yeah I've been freelancing and that, that's kind of great because there is some freedom in that in that the responsibility is slightly less but you still obviously you're still a professional you still want to do really well um yeah I think it's it's I think it's the balance of when I was on maternity leave even though you know especially the first 3 6 months are so full on and intense um I think you know you still even if your day is completely haphazard you might, hopefully, when the baby's asleep, be able to get some sleep in, at that point, if you're lucky. Um, but I think going back to work, it's just like a, a non-stop sort of uh, hamster wheel. You're just like, you know, trying to, to juggle it all. And I always think, you know, I've got one child. Wow. What must it be like with two or what must it be like doing it on your own? Um, but we do. We balance it all out. It's just it's just very little time for yourself, isn't there? There's working and then there's children looking after their needs and. And then there's sleep, and then that's about it. <laughs> so. I know,
0: I, I totally feel you. And, and for people who are on their fertility journey um, mm. or navigating infertility at work, any kind of regrets, suggestions, tips, and then um, you'd like to sort of finish with?
1: Do you know what? You know how people say, um, leave loudly? And you know how people will often say at five o'clock, or, you know, or, or if they have to go? leave <clears throat> work they they sort of apologize I would I would kind of say like put your put yourself first I like don't feel don't feel um that you're being selfish or that your needs aren't hugely important it's such an important time for you as someone going through assisted fertility you and your family you know you have to put yourself first I have I have a friend who's um who's brilliant and you know I think she struggles putting her her needs first sometimes and I think when you're going through this. Um, this journey, you have to like, you have to focus on it. You have to like do everything you need to do because um, it's it's intense and it's it's all consuming and it's emotional and it's physically demanding. And you've got you know if you've got if you're lucky enough to have a network of people helping you with that journey, then then use it and just you know that's what, that's all you can do. I, I think I I don't have any major regrets. I think um, I don't feel like I was an older mother. I, you know. Starting my journey at 39, but in some to some people that is older, and having my son when I was I was pregnant at 41, had him at 42. Um, I, I am, um, you know, I didn't feel old. I mean, I can't compare because I obviously didn't. You know, I haven't had a child at 29. Or, um, but I, I think you know, not being too tough on yourself and giving yourself the space. And you know, you can't always give 100 every aspect of your life, and especially if you're going through this journey got to give yourself the amount of headspace and and physical space and rest that you need to do this properly I think
0: absolutely I couldn't agree more thank mm. you
1: so much for speaking with me today it's
0: been really lovely to speak to you and for sharing your story uh, which no doubt so many people will resonate with so many people it's um, lovely to be speaking with you again
1: oh you too thank you so much Eloise
0: thank you